Shalom Mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. We're the Mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people. We're the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile finally come down to form one new man, one new humanity, getting ready, Mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone, everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone, everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. Well, my guest is red hot for the Messiah. Uh, his name, Pat Schatzlein. And uh, I find this pretty interesting. I was speaking to before uh, we went on the air. And his dad uh, comes from a Jewish background. Uh, and see, I had, a t- I had a cousin whose last name was Schatz. I don't know what it was shortened from, uh, so that's why I suspected uh, that your dad was Jewish. But um, at age five, your dad comes to the Lord. Uh, what were the circumstances? My dad worked for the Teamsters uh, in Detroit, Michigan, and was running drugs and a number of other things. And my mom went to a Southern Gospel singing when I was uh, just two weeks before that, and she had been raised in the South. Married my father. Dad worked for GM, and he worked for the Teamsters, and um, or Ford and Teamsters, excuse me. And uh, my mom gets invited to church. Now, my dad was a thug. He was a drug runner. Our whole family, I mean, I can still have memories of waking up in a drug room and all the other stuff. And my mom goes to church, has a radical encounter with God at a Southern Gospel singing, uh, and comes home. He's in the middle of a, a poker game. And she turns on Southern Gospel. The guys that are playing poker with my dad getting drunk uh, get under conviction and leave. My dad was so angry. Two weeks later, uh, the neighbor that invited my mom to church kept inviting my dad. And my dad literally threatened the man with his life. My dad had long hair down to his waist. It was crazy. But my dad uh, drove his car through our house one night in a drunken stupor. Drove right through the garage. car was in the... uh, in the kitchen, and about three days later, he realized that he was going to die like so many of his friends had in that type of culture. He got on his knees in the bathroom, flushed dope down the commode, and gave his heart to Christ on his own. Now, as, as a young man, you, you had quite a background. You, did you literally see angels bring your family cash when they needed it, food when they needed it? Absolutely. You know, my dad gets saved, goes off to Bible college three, three months later, gets radically touched by the Spirit of God, and starts. we move to the South, and he starts pastoring these little churches, churches that couldn't afford our family. And I can remember one night, my parents had prayed, God, we need $700 tonight to pay for the church bills. We lived in an old parsonage. It was actually an old church. They left, uh, went to a meeting. My sister and I were home, and we lived on, an old, on a freeway. And a man knocked on the door, almost what you'd think Jesus would look like. I was about 10 years old. And he hands me an envelope, and I answer the door, and he says, it's the master home. And I said, you mean, you mean my dad? And, he, and I go, no, he's not. He said, give him this. When he shut the door, I, uh, I opened the envelope. It was open. And there was seven and $100 bills in the envelope. I yanked the door open and said, you could see anywhere for two miles uh, where we lived. We lived on a freeway. And no one was to be found. My parents came home. I handed them the envelope, and they fell on their knees and began to weep. 
on other occasions, we would be sitting at the dining room table, no food to eat, place settings there, and my father would pray, God, we need groceries. Someone would immediately knock on the door and, and put back their car up, back a car up, give us groceries, and my father would go to thank them, and they'd be gone. Uh, crazy experiences like that happen. Oh, okay, but, but you know the thing that I often wonder? Seeing what you saw, being raised in such a godly home at 16, you got into trouble with the law, you were drinking. How could you do that? You know, Sid, I, I think it's because my parents got so radically saved out of the drug culture that we moved into a mentality for many years of maybe legalism, religion. My dad pastored those little churches, and it wasn't even my parents. It was those little churches that I always say are good for one thing, the making and the breaking of a man of God. And I saw so much in the church that it made me begin to doubt. Okay, God, now let me just say this. I always knew God was there. There was a time where I was in that car, drinking with friends, driving down the road, and another car came at us in a head-on collision. And even in a drunken stupor with my friends, I screamed, Jesus. And our car went right through their car and kept going. I can only describe it as a supernatural experience. That, And it was two weeks later, in my bedroom floor, that I said, God, if you're real, I need to know it. And God walked into my bedroom. What do you mean, God walked into your bedroom? Tell me what happened. <laughs> you know, I, I, I speak a lot overseas, and I hear great stories of people having dreams and God visiting them and things like that. And for me, I said, Lord, I'm laying in bed, and I, and I could hear my mom upstairs praying in her bedroom for me in the Spirit. And she was crying out to God. And I said, okay, God, if you're real, prove it. I laid there for a while. Nothing happened. I said, there, well, there you go. And, and I got in the floor because I had seen my dad my whole life when I would get up in the middle of the night to get water, laying on the floor praying. And he would get up in the middle of the night and pray all night. And I got in the floor. And I said, okay, God, if my dad can do it, then, then, then let me try it like that. I'm laying on the floor, and I fell asleep. And somewhere in the night, Jesus himself walked into my bedroom. And I looked up, and the glory of the Lord filled the room. And I had never had an encounter like that, obviously. And, and, I, and he said, Pat, give me everything. Give me your heart, son. I'll take it. And then he looked at me and, and said, this, is, this seems so odd, but he said to me, I'm so sorry. I, I, I start crying when I talk about it. In fact, I feel like there's somebody watching or listening right now by the radio that needs to hear this. Because the Lord spoke to me and he said, Son, I'm so sorry that my bride has hurt you over the years. Because I saw my mom go through things, have a breakdown. A lot of that stuff was caused because they were so raw out of the drug culture. And within three years, they were pastoring churches. But the Lord spoke to me and he said, Son, I'm so sorry that my bride has hurt you. I will protect you. I will anoint you, and I will use you. And instantly, I gave my heart to him and was radically filled with the Spirit at that moment. By myself, ran upstairs, woke my parents up, and said, I just had an encounter with God. You know, I have to believe that there are so many people listening to us that have been turned off by hypocrisy of humans that are believers in the church. Never, ever judge God who loves you, who died for you, who appointed you, who has a marvelous destiny for you, 
by someone that has a misunderstanding of God. Uh, And that's the problem. We judge God by people. We have to judge God by God. (laughs) I had heard that over and over and over. People go through dark times. God must be mad at me. And the Lord spoke to me one day when I was running. He said, son, tell him I'm not mad at him. Tell him I'm mad about him. And he said, rewrite my resume to regeneration, because religion has a great way of hijacking the character of the Holy Spirit. And religion walks around with a noose in its hand, ready to choke you. But relationship with Jesus walks around with a fresh glass of water, ready, ready to feed you. Okay, tell me about your latest book, I Am Remnant. I love that title. It, it, it kind of grabs you. Uh, what, what is this about? Where did it come from? Well, you know, I, I was out. I always say when I'm jogging, God speaks to me, and he does. It's the weirdest thing. And uh, if I know I need to hear a word from the Lord, I go for a run. And I'm out jogging one morning, getting ready to do a conference in Dallas, and uh, where my son is youth pastor at. And, and all of a sudden, the Lord just hit me. He said, son, he said, I want to raise up my remnant. And I'm worshiping, and I'm praising God as I'm running. And I said, I said, Lord, I, I've heard that word my whole life. In fact, in high school and college, I laid carpet. And the remnant is the leftover pieces of carpet that you throw away. And, and I said, Lord, I know. He said, go research it. So I ran back to my hotel room, pulled up Romans 11.5. So too at the present time, there's been a remnant chosen by grace. And the word remnant means rag, what's left over. From cover to cover, Old Testament, New Testament, it is all about the remnant. The remnant is not the large crowds. It's those that would stand for truth through the power of the Holy Spirit in the darkest of times. And so I wrote a message called Remnant Rising, preached it at a church the next day in Houston, and 40 churches, people started running to the altar. Sometime later, God began to birth in me, now you're going to turn it into a book. And that began to come alive in me, so that now, because I do believe we're, we're, we're racing against the rapture, I believe that we're, that we're living in very dark times, I believe that God is about to raise up a remnant in America. Israel has always been the remnant, but God is raising up a remnant that will stand firm. You know, Amos 9-11 speaks of the tabernacle of David being restored, and it says in it, and the remnant will come forth. All through Zephaniah 3, all through God's Word, it's about the remnant. Those that will say, enough is enough. I'm not bowing to culture. God's Word doesn't change with culture. I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ in the darkest times. Now, you have something, it's a poster called the Manifesto of the Remnant. What is that? You know, after God gave me the message, I began to write it for my publisher, and and boy, the heavens kind of closed. I mean, I just wasn't getting anything, and I always say the teacher doesn't talk when he's giving, when he's giving a test. And so I looked at my wife one afternoon. I had passed deadline, and you know what that's like because of your, your books that you've written. And I looked at my wife and said, i got to go hear from God. And, and so I loaded up in the car and drove to the uh, trap where I run at. And I'm out there, and I said, God, are you with me? I, I literally said that. And he spoke to me. He said, get your phone out. I'm going to share something with you. And the Lord downloaded to me. In 45 minutes, it's so funny because people were running past me on the track. It's late in the afternoon. I'm weeping uncontrollably and typing on the little yellow pad on your iPhone. And God gives me 34 prophetic words. And he said, son, and I call it the manifesto of the remnant. He said, now, son, take this and build your book around it. 
I'll, I'll tell you what, we're out of time right now. But you've been listening to us. Are you ready for greater intimacy with God? Are you ready to really walk with God like Enoch did? Are you ready to demonstrate his kingdom? Guess what? He's already called you. Guess what? He's waiting for you. This message from heaven will cause you to experience the awesome love of God that will revolutionize your life. The brand new book, I Am Remnant, the three powerful CD messages, amazing miracles happen when he teaches on these areas, and the manifesto of the Remnant poster available for a gift of $40. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. Pat, you told me this was downloaded to you from heaven. Uh, number one, what is the purpose of these 34 proclamations? The remnant proclamations or manifesto are compasses or, or uh, plumb lines to guide the remnant to stand firm in the darkness of culture. And God gave me 34, and I just began to write them down on my phone. As he gave them to me, I felt the presence of God, and I would break for a moment and weep, and I began to pray in the Spirit. And, and, and it was as if while I was walking, I felt as if there was angels standing over my shoulders. And I've seen angels, obviously, and, and had encounters with angels, supernatural experiences with angels. And the fact, the minute I got done writing it, I go back to my car, and laying in the front seat was a white feather. And I said, I just started laughing. I said, God, you're so good. Then I glanced up, and my wife and I believe strongly the rainbow has always been used to show us that we're on the right track. And I look up, and I'm about to pull away, and I took a picture of it on my phone, because there was a rainbow a rainbow streaking across the sky. And, and it was as if, as if the Lord was saying in the Hebrew, Y-O-O, or well done, is the word in the Hebrew. It's as if I could feel the Lord saying, okay, now you're ready to write the book. And I use those to, to write the vision around. And there's people listening right now. I want to go ahead and warn you while you're on this call, if you're driving at home, wherever you're listening, you're going to feel the glory of the Lord overwhelm you. And you're not going to understand it except to say it's His love. Because the Lord just put that in my spirit to tell you, He's right there beside you. You're not alone. Tell me a, a couple of the proclamations, and I might add, you proclaim these on one of the three powerful messages we're making available in addition to the poster. But tell me a few that were downloaded from heaven. The remnant will consist of failures, fatherless, forgotten, and freedom fighters, and their pedigree is that of a scarred savior. The remnant cannot be defined by man's human concepts because the remnant finds their value in the eyes of their savior. A remnant will not, the remnant has decided, at all costs, I will not quit on the one who would not quit on them. And I could keep going because it begins to burn in my spirit. I may start preaching, but the remnant doesn't stop where they should have died because they know that Jesus didn't. And the remnant has chosen to let go of past hurts in order to experience the freedom that comes with forgiving and moving forward. The remnant has chosen to leave a life of compromise for the spirit of consecration being set apart. And here's, here's my favorite. The remnant understands the fruit of the spirit is not a salad for a church potluck, 
but the, rather the diet of a lifetime. And the remnant knows the gifts of the Spirit are not for the evangelical, charismatic, and Pentecostal talent show, but rather the weapons of a dying leader who has chosen spirit over flesh and freedom over slavery. That's just some of them right there that God gave me. Tell me about uh, the statement, the Oscar goes to the remnant that says yes. The Oscar goes to was a chapter that, that I'm going to get real, real with you. I'm so frustrated with celebrity Christianity. And uh, so many times, a lot of people don't realize, the only celebrities in the Bible were children. And so many times, uh, and the Lord's really dealt with me about this because of traveling and speaking all over the world, and and that is the, the only red carpet in the Bible was where the blood of the martyrs was spilled, and the only roped-off areas where they hung the martyrs, those that stood for Christ. And if Jesus would have had handlers, the woman with the issue of blood would have never gotten to it. So the chapter on the Oscar goes to that, that so burns in me is about those that will stand and realize that we are not the celebrity Jesus is. You know, so he always tells me, I'll get ready to walk on stage, and he'll say to me, Pat, you open the curtain for me and let my glory show. If they can see you, they can't see me. And God says to me, Pat, you're at a place where I'm crushing you like an olive to get the anointing oil out of you. And I'm expecting you to stand up and be pure. It's not about who knows you. It's about who knows me. And I think so many times that people are literally screaming, no, not him, give us Barabbas. And, and what do I mean by that is because we're screaming, look at me, look at me, don't look at Jesus, because if they look at Jesus, they may realize we don't look like him very much. And God has called the remnant to be the humble, the broken, the ones that will weep and cry out to him, the ones that will simply grab somebody by the hand, a unknown person, and say, let me walk you back to the cross. So that's where that uh, the Oscar goes to is, uh, I, I'll be honest with you, I felt the Lord tell me, no more celebrities. I'm looking for the broken, the remnant. Yeah, you know, I had a dream very similar to that when I was a brand new believer. And let me tell you about my dream, Pat. Uh, I was in heaven, and it was Academy Rewards, not a ward, Academy Rewards Night. And so they opened up the envelope, and I thought in my heart, I was, you know, in this dream, boy, my name's going to come out. And instead, a little old crinkled woman got the award, and I'm looking at her, and then God speaks to me, and God says, that could have been you. I'm going to tell you something. That really put the fear of God in me. <laughs> but that's the same thing you're talking about. Uh, you talk about uh, the, the world going after the superstars and giving the superstars the trophies, but what is God looking for? You know, about a year ago, I had a dream, and I fell asleep in a hotel room and in Arkansas. I was speaking the next morning, and suddenly in my dream, Jesus—and I'm not even sure if it was a dream as much as a visitation— Jesus walked into my hotel room, and all I could see was his foot. But as he got closer, I'm in a hotel room in my sleep. I began to scream, please don't come any closer or I'll die. The fear of God came into my hotel room. And I said, if you come any closer, I'll die, Lord. And the Lord, all I saw was one foot with a scar print. And I'm looking, I'm literally screaming in my sleep in my hotel room. And the Lord said to me, son, if you'll give me everything you have, I'll give you everything I have. If you'll tell this world 
that if they'll give me everything they have, I'll give them everything I have. And, and suddenly he was gone. I was so shaken to the core. I got up and I turned on worship and began to dance before the Lord at one o'clock in the morning in a hotel room in Arkansas. And I began to study John 7, where it says, ask, seek, and knock. Those are perpetual terms, meaning never stop asking, never stop seeking, never stop knocking, because he's there. He's calling out to you. And it, it wrecked me, much like your dream. It wrecked me because I realized, had I really given God everything? He said, I want everything about you, Pat. But, but wait a second. How do you do that? You can't do that by yourself. What do you suggest? You're doing it. What, what, what do we do? <laughs> well, I'll be honest. It's that moment, and it started with me when my sister suddenly died of a drug overdose seven years ago, when I suddenly realized, okay, I've, for years I've done it on my own. For years I've tried to build ministry and all that kind of stuff. And it's that place where the end of yourself is the beginning of God, where the place where you get down and you say, God, without you, I've got nothing. It's a place where you come to contentment with his presence. Drinking, my wife speaks about a great deal around the nation about drinking from the well and getting to that place where you say, God, I die to everything. It's not legalism. It's relationship. It's making up your mind. I'm not going to be a part of this world because I am awkward. I am called to be different. I am called to be separate. But it's, it's tough. And I'm going to say this. Everybody talks about changing wineskins, and it's a powerful statement. But a lot of people don't realize that once the wineskin changes, God has to ferment the wine. It means it's a long season of breaking and crushing and crying out and saying, I'm desperate. God loves you so much that he won't let you avoid the encounter. He forces you into encounter. You make another statement, and that is that it should take less than 10 seconds to get into God's presence. That sounds wonderful. Is that true for everyone? I believe it's for every single person. In fact, I can be in a crowd of five or 5,000 and simply say, the Holy Spirit is standing in front of you and he's breathing on your face like he did the disciples in John 20. And people will begin to weep and wail. I was in a church several weeks ago, three weeks ago in North Carolina, and the Lord, I was walking on stage, crowd of thousands, and I'm going to walk on stage, and God says, go open the door and invite my spirit in. Well, I said, Lord, you're already here. I feel you. He said, I know, but I want to give them a, t- a tangible moment. Sid, this honestly happened. I run over to the side door of the sanctuary, and I say, folks, this is just for me, I guess. I open the door, and I say, Holy Spirit, would you come in? At that moment, people began to wail and cry out and weep multicultural church began to run to the front, crying out to God. Because I believe your lifestyle shouldn't change when you get to heaven. And the encounter, I I would say this to when I talk to young ministers, you're 30 minutes away from any moral failure. The enemy will track you. You're 30 minutes away from making a mistake. But you're only about 10 seconds from the presence of God to save you. Now, you say the whole thing, the whole process can start with a simple prayer that we believe. Later this week, would you lead us in that prayer? I'd be honored to. Yes, sir. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The book, brand new book, I Am Remnant. Uh, Real quick, do we have hope 
in America if this remnant rises up? I believe without the remnant rising up, America's done. And what I mean by that is because we're, we're killing our children with, a, with, a, with abandonment. We're, we're diving into social issues and changing the Bible. If America does not have an encounter with God, America's over with. I believe that with all of my heart. Tell me about the prophetic dream that you had in October of 2012 about the—you uh, were in an old diner. I, I fell asleep late one night, and God had put it in my heart that he was going to raise up the remnant. But I didn't know how we would do it. And I had spent some time with a, a, a dear father in my life named Reinhard Bunky, and he had even said to me, Pat, you must get a generation filled with the Spirit. And so fast forward 10 months later, and he had said to me, get ready for prophetic dreams like you've never experienced. I fall asleep late one night. It's probably 11.15 or so. I fall asleep. I'm laying in bed. And the Lord immediately took me away to an old diner, like a diner you would see on Route 66 out in New Mexico or Arizona. And I'm sitting at this table, and great leaders are sitting around me. And said, I need to tell you that I believe you were sitting there with me, because there was a man there that I did not know. And I believe you were sitting there with me. Anyway, we're sitting there, and there's a giant old radio in front of me, like my grandparents had. When you turn the dials, the light, they would light up when you would land on the station. So I'm in the middle of the booth, everyone's sitting around. And I turn the dial, and it lands on an open station. And the broadcaster says, the stadium is full in New York City, and the remnant is worshiping God. We begin to laugh, begin to cry. I keep turning it. The stadium is full in Atlanta. Turn it again. The stadium is full in Dallas. Turn it again. The stadium is full in Salt Lake, Seattle, San Francisco, Atlanta, all, all the way down through. And I'm weeping and laughing so hard that I sit up in the bed and wake up. My wife wakes up beside me, and she's my, what I call my Holy Spirit in the flesh. She's so pure. Karen jumps up, and she says, the presence of God is in our room. And I said, and, I, and I'm weeping and laughing at the same time. I look over at the clock. I thought I'd been asleep all night, and it was exactly midnight. I jump out of bed. I ran upstairs, and I emailed Reinhardt Bunky, and I said, God has showed me. He's coming to America. He's not done with America. He showed me it's going to happen. And uh, Reinhardt, I call him Pastor Bunky emails me back and says, I know, he has showed me the same thing. Get ready and prepare the way. And that was such a powerful encounter that God said for me to get ready. What we've been calling dead, God is calling sleeping. He's about to awaken this generation, young and old. He's about to raise up those that feel like they cannot be used, the remnant. The, those that God says, I've been calling forth those that will let will be a rag in my hand. The word remnant means rag. It also means what ties a generation together. If you study the definition of remnant in the Hebrew, it means those that are left over after others have followed apostasy or false doctrine. It's those... Speaking of apostasy and false doctrine, I, I am amazed at what is flooding the airwaves right now in reference to... Uh, a, a gospel without repentance, a gospel without sin, just a, just just the good news. Uh, I, I mean, it it it's unbelievable that people are accepting uh, a, a gospel without the cross. <laughs> well, and, and you know, I, I've learned that the cross is offensive. If you mention the blood, it offends people. 
but the gospel is offensive, and we are living in a time. I wrote about this in a chapter in the book called Weeping Lions and Roaring Lambs, where the Lord spoke to me, laying on my face one day, three weeks in a row, or two weeks in a row, he kept saying to me, Pat, I'm looking for weeping lions and roaring lambs. And finally, I'm in Singapore, jogging one morning, and I said, Lord, what does that mean? And he said, I'm looking for those that have been standing on Pride Rock to weep again, because he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus was the weeping lion for the roaring lambs. But we're living in a time where people are preaching the gospel without repentance, because of repentance is offensive. So literally, they're preaching grace without responsibility, and grace without responsibility is nothing more than a form of religion. Grace is not the invitation to leave the cross. It's an invitation to cling to the cross. Titus gave a clear definition of grace, but we're living in a time of what I call greasy grace, where people are preaching that—it's kind of like this. They're firing the Holy Spirit from churches. They want Father, Son, and Holy Scripture, but they don't want the Spirit of God anymore. So they fired him. They kicked him out. And so I'm actually writing a message right now called An Interview with the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I'm writing that is because I write in the book that the Holy Spirit has been fired. Because if we were to ever allow him in our church, then we we would be messed up by the presence of God. But people don't want to be messed up by his presence anymore. Because we're living in a time, and I have to be careful, you can tell this burns inside of me, that people are preaching there's no such thing as repentance anymore. Well, if that's the case, throw out Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3, where over and over it says, repent, you're running out of time. And repentance means to watch the house burn down and walk away. It means to get clean. But now, and I'm going to say something pretty bold, I honestly believe the church will be packed out the day after the rapture if the remnant doesn't rise up. Because we're living in a time where he's separating the ten virgins, those that want the presence of God and those that don't. All ten were pure, but ten, but five of them missed the party. And I write about that in the book, that God has had enough of those that are declaring a false doctrine. It, it really comes back to humanism and hedonism, and then it also leads back to, really, if you study it, the oldest religions in the book, where it's all about self and man-made, and it's dangerous. But the remnant stands up and says, I'm sorry, that is wrong. You can't live that lifestyle and go to heaven. And boy, the attacks come right now for those of us that stand for truth. Let me ask you this. You say there's three things that we have to zero in on as a remnant. Purity, authority, and joy. Explain. Purity, number one, is my righteousness is filthy rags, but his blood purifies me. Living a life that says, I am separate from the world. I am going to live a holy life. I'm going to stand up for what it means. Not legalism, but a life that says, I'm separate from what the world has to offer. I'm cleaning all this stuff out of my life. And, and, and then when it comes to joy, you know, honestly, I preach in a different place every week all over America. One of the things that has been stolen from the church is joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. In his presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand. And what we don't understand is, if you're not spending time in his presence, you are not going to find anything but temporary fulfillment compared to his presence brings joy. And then the third one, authority. I'll never forget, we were in a hotel room. We got a little girl in China. We adopted her when she was nine months old. And for one solid week, she screamed every hour, on the hour, and the Lord finally spoke to me. 
that son, this is a terror attack. There's a demonic force that doesn't want to let go of her when you take her home from China to America and restore her identity. She's nine months old. And suddenly, in the middle of the night, I got up and turned worship on. My family had not slept. We were exhausted. We were at each other's throats. I turned on worship. And when I did, a giant demon appeared in the corner of the room and was laughing and pointing at my daughter. And I stood up in that hotel room, and I said, very quietly, so I wouldn't wake anyone, you have no authority. I'm taking her with me. I'm giving her an identity. She's taken my name. I have adopted her. That demonic power went out the window. Suddenly, the next day, my wife and I and daughter and son were on a flight to another province, something to do with the adoption. My wife looked over at me, and she said, I saw it. I said, you saw what? I didn't know she had seen it. She said, I saw the demonic figure in the corner. I saw it crawl out the window. She wrapped her arms around me on the plane and said, thank you for being a man of authority. Folks that are listening right now, you have the authority to walk through your house in Jesus' name and run every demonic force out. You have the authority to pray over your home, to anoint your kid's bed, anoint your spouse's pillow. You have the authority to say, not in my house, devil. My house will be holy. So when you get a hold of a true biblical authority, and that comes through knowing the Word of God, slowly studying it, and having a prayer life, then nothing can touch you. The other night, I'll, I'll wrap with this. For a week now, I've had a dream. My wife and daughter were killed in a car accident. On Friday night, I went to do a wedding. My wife and daughter were meeting me at the wedding. My phone rang at five minutes to six. My, my wife wasn't there yet. This is for two of our kids from our school of ministry. I said, where are you? She said, Pat, I just had a wreck on the freeway. But the minute it started to happen, a car slammed on her brakes. It was raining. Someone came around both sides. She couldn't get over. She said, I heard angels begin to sing in her car. I locked the brakes, destroyed our car. This just happened Friday night. And she said, but Pat, she said, we're fine. The person we hit is fine. Your daughter's fine. She said, preach the wedding, come get me. And the reason why I say that, for one week, every day, I declared Psalms 91 over my wife and daughter. I knew the enemy. I had a drink. She was killed in a car accident. I knew the enemy was going to try to take my family. He lost because the authority that God has placed in us to stop the plan of the enemy. How far away are we from the return of the Messiah? You know, I honestly believe, as I'm watching Israel being surrounded, I'm watching Syria and Russia join forces with Iran, I honestly believe that we are less than five years away from the return of Christ. That's why the mandate is so intense that we must lead a generation, young and old, back to the glory of God right now. We are there, Sid. I believe that with, uh, with everything inside of me, that, in fact, prophetic words have been given to us. Get the message out now. We're out of time. Because God is coming back. He has to come back. Because we're at a place now where the enemy is killing young and old in this generation. But the church is going to have to rise up and begin to pray Second Chronicles 7.14. We're going to have to repent and get back to having encounters with God. But the truth of the matter is, you have a choice right now, and you can be the five wise virgins, or you can be the five foolish virgins. But you need some anointed help from heaven. And we're going to pray a special prayer for you at last, maybe on Friday's broadcast. But Pat's latest book, From Heaven, 
I am remnant. The three powerful messages and the manifesto of the remnant, a wonderful poster. And I'm telling you, from heaven, as he proclaims these over you, which you'll have on the three powerful messages on CD, all available for an offer of $40. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. Pat, you told me last night you had a dream in which I was in it, and I'd like you to tell me exactly what God told you to deliver. Last night, I, I fell asleep and was excited about our, our time together today, Sid, and somewhere between about 4 a.m. and 5 a.m., I had a dream this morning, and I'm, I'm sitting with you, and uh, we were in the audience. I didn't even you know, know what that was. We were sitting at, at a desk, and I turned to you, and the Lord said, you tell him that I have not given him a spirit of fear. But I've given him authority, and I am opening doors on his behalf to not accept anything the enemy says. And then he said, you tell the audience, those that are listening, if you're walking through fear, that God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and soundness of mind. But he told me to tell you, audience, that are listening right now, he said, tell them that I can break depression, fear, and discouragement right now where they're sitting, and my joy can overwhelm them. But said it was so clear in this dream, and I don't have a great deal of dreams. I'm not an every night dreamer. But he said to me, and I wrestled with it. He said, "You tell Sid that fear has tried to overwhelm him for what I want him to do, to stop, and let me do it." Sounds good to me. Uh, one of the messages we're making available. It's a it's a major message. People must hear this. The title is. Why is God so mad at me? Now, you have done a number of meetings with young people who are what are called cutters, where they cut themselves. And by the time they hear this message, not only do they get free from cutting, what happens to their scars? You know, it it started happening four years ago at a big festival in Monterey, California. My son came to me, and I just got done speaking. He said, Dad... There's a bunch of students who want to meet with you. And I spoke to about 30,000. And I said, son, you know what? I'm tired. I flew all night to get here. He goes, dad, you got to do this. So I go outside and youth pastors are holding their teenagers with their arms out. And I said, hey, what's happening? And the youth pastors are weeping going, their scars disappeared in the middle of your service. First time it happened. Blood is still in some of their arms where they had been cutting that morning in their tents at this big festival. But the scars were gone. Said then it began to happen all over the place. Now, just out of curiosity, are you saying, proclaiming this is going to happen? Or just because of the power and anointing, it just happens? It just happens. And you know what? There are times where I'm in the middle of speaking, and God will say, tell them right now. And I just did that in Indianapolis with about 7,000 teenagers. And I said, God says, if you're a cutter, your scars will disappear. And I just go on preaching. And all of a sudden, a beautiful little girl comes running out in the foyer after the service. I'm out at the table, and, and uh, she's dancing. And I said, sweetheart, what's going on? Because we have such a wounded generation. She said, I was raped by my father. I was raped by my stepfather, and I was raped by my boyfriend. Beautiful 16-year-old girl. And she said, and I'm a cutter. But when you said that, I looked down, and she peeled back her Band-Aids. 
She said, sir, all my cuts are gone. You know, said I asked God, I said, God, why do you do that? A very strange manifestation. And he said, son, when the love of a father enters in, when I break that orphan spirit, I not only heal the inside, but I can transform the outside. And this happens all over the place when we go in. People that cut, which cutting is controlled pain. People cut themselves. Uh, I've got family members that are not kids that cut themselves. And they do it because it's the only pain they can control. And it becomes addictive. It's a high. It's almost like a drug. And so when God enters in and begins to heal them, the inside, he can manifest healing on the outside. And I have met over and over one young lady. I was speaking uh, at an event she was watching on the Internet. She had cut herself so much, even on her face, that I'm preaching the message that's in the book, Weeping Lions and Roaring Lambs. She's watching on the Internet, goes to the bathroom in Detroit, Michigan, to wipe her face off uh, because she'd been crying so much. And even the cuts on her face were gone. And uh, she actually sent me a Facebook message this morning asking me to pray for her because she's telling her testimony at a suicide prevention center. Well, one time you shared this message, and you had a a vision for a couple who had recently lost their son. He had died. Right. That happened back in November of this last year. I'm in Virginia. A couple comes up to my table. The pastor's wife, I'm, I'm actually signing a book, of all things, for someone, the pastor's wife whispers to me, this couple really got touched by God tonight. And and she said, um, I said, okay, and I'm still signing. And she said, their son was killed two months ago in a car accident. He was 19 years old in Myrtle Beach. I dropped the book because my ultimate fear would be to lose my 22-year-old son. I turn and grab the mother by the hands, and she's talking away. And instantly, when I took her hands, the Holy Spirit took me to heaven. And I saw this tall, lanky, red-headed young man worshiping before the throne of God. I immediately, and he had on a red flannel shirt, of all things. I immediately came back to the woman. And she's talking. I said, ma'am, I have to interrupt you. I need to ask you some things. And I've never done this before. I said, was your son tall? She said, oh, tall and lanky. I said, did he worship with his arms spread out before the Lord? She said, just like an eagle. I said, was he redheaded? She said, absolutely. I said, ma'am, I'm going to ask you something even crazier. Did your son have a red flannel shirt? Her teenage daughter, who was standing right there, I write about this in the book, because her teenage daughter immediately begins to weep, and she says, I go in his room and smell it every day. It was his favorite shirt. And I said, ma'am, you've been worried that your son did not make it to heaven. God told me to tell you he made it, and I saw him worshiping. She fell out in the spirit. What that means is she just kind of fell out on the floor, began to cry out to God. Her husband, they're all my age, probably in their 40s, weeping uncontrollably, had been taken from a life of drug addictions and all kinds of things, and I put them in the book. In fact, the book was at press, and I called my publisher and said, hold on, I've got to add this story, because God let me see heaven for this woman. Just out of curiosity— Besides seeing her son, did you see anything else in heaven? All I saw was the glory of the Lord, and I could see the knees and the feet of God on the throne. Now, when you say you saw the glory of the Lord, tell me what you saw. Whenever you see the thick, billowing smoke, white smoke, in the clouds when you fly, that's what I saw all around me, except it was moving and dancing. And the, 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 the very lights of heaven were bouncing off of it. 
And, you know, said, I asked the Lord, I, I pray every night, God, I want to see heaven. And I said, Lord, you let me see heaven. Why? And he said, son, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You had no motives when you took her by the hand except compassion. And compassion is the armor that God gives you to bring forth truth. But compassion is also the doorway to transform lives. I, I've noticed when I read in the Gospels about miracles and Jesus, often that word compassion is in there. I, have you seen, I mean, that, I think it's wonderful. The scars are disappearing from the cutters. But have you seen other types of miracles happen when you speak? Absolutely. We had a young lady that came in in a wheelchair completely crippled last year, had rolled in, and by the end of the service, when I said stand up to get the altar call, without thinking she had been hurt in an accident, was completely handicapped, paralyzed, she stood up. She suddenly realized she was standing. Next thing I know, she's standing in her wheelchair. Her mom is on the other end of the cell phone. It's a big youth conference. She's screaming, Mama, I'm healed. I'm healed. And we have seen the compassion. But even another greater miracle was a 70-year-old gentleman that came to me and said, Pat, he had cried all the way through the service. And I said, Sir, are you okay? 78 years old. I was in Canada. He said, You don't understand. When you begin to preach tonight, God took me back to when I was 14. And he said, I've never been to church before till tonight, 78 years old. When I walked my father to the train station, he was getting on a train to go into battle to leave. He promised me he would come back, but he never came back. And as I walked through the snow, God gave me a vision. A 78-year-old unsaved man said, God gave me a vision as I was walking back through the snow in the woods to go home. After watching my father wave goodbye, I saw Jesus come out of the woods and put his arms around me. The greatest compassion miracles, and he's just weeping, radically got saved. The greatest compassion miracles are not just physical. It's when God takes that wounded, weary, exhausted, scarred person. I always say this, scars on earth are testimonies in heaven. If you've not been through some things, you're probably not a good soldier. But God, and and, and I've learned this, that, that it's impossible to have compassion without first having pain. So if you're listening right now, and you've been through a lot of stuff, you know what? What you've been through is a great indication of who you're called to. It's how you defeat the enemy. I have compassion for someone that loses a sibling because I lost my sister to a drug overdose. I have compassion for those that have mental illness in their family. Why? Because God takes what we've been through and uses it for his glory. And now becomes, instead of a crutch, it becomes a wing. You know, I'm hearing some words of knowledge, so I've got to state them right now. People with arthritis in their hands and in their fingers, if you'll move your fingers, if you'll move your wrist, uh, the joints, actually any joint, you're being healed in Jesus' name right now. Have you seen people healed of cancer in your meetings, Pat? Yes, sir. Absolutely. In fact, we had one little boy, 14 years old, had been sent home to die. They brought him to a service. And I walked over to him, and, and I must interrupt this for just a second with a word of knowledge. I see someone with a knot on their brain stem in the back of their head, and it is, I don't know if it's, uh, if it's benign, I don't know if it's cancerous, but it's back there, and you know it's there, and it's forcing you to have debilitating headaches and migraines, and God is dissolving it right now as you're listening to this. I don't know who you are, but it's at the back of your head, it's your cranium level. It's back there by about the C4, C5 area of your neck. All right, finish the, story of the, finish the story of the person with cancer. That person is healed in Jesus' name. Go ahead. 
that I, there was a, it was actually a 12-year-old young man in Oklahoma City. His mother brought him to the service. He had been sent home to die. He looked like walking dead. I came off the platform, went to lay hands on him, and just said, Jesus says you're healed right now. The little boy says, I believe it. We prayed for him. He goes home. Two days later, I get a Facebook message from the mama. I took my husband, or took my son back to the hospital today. The doctors say all the cancer is gone. I saw that young man about it. Well, we're out of time. One night, your wife comes to you because she has had a dream and tells you that you're supposed to go to China to rescue your daughter. You don't even have a daughter. I don't even have a daughter. You know, we had tried for 10 years to have another child. Prophetic words spoken over us. We have a, uh, our son, but for no reason, for no reason at all. The doctors could not find a reason. We could not have another child. And Karen came to me, Sid, and she said, Pat, I, heard a, I had a dream. I saw our daughter, and I heard her crying in another land. And the Lord had spoken to her that, Karen, in your despair, you must rescue. Because she was in despair from not being able to have another child. And so we began the process, the journey. We even had it interrupted by stars. And, and we would have gotten another child, if we, but we wouldn't have got my beautiful little Abigail, which means my father's joy. And Karen has, a, has this dream. And we go to China, and we get our little girl. And said, i got to tell you something that happened. About a year and a half ago, I was out of town. And all of a sudden, Karen calls me, and she's crying. And I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, we call her Abby. She said, Abby just came up to me in the house. And I said, what happened? And she said, well, she said, Mommy, I had a dream last night. And she said, Jesus came and saw me in my dream. And Karen goes, really? Now, Abby's 11 years old now, so this is about, she was about nine. And Karen goes, really? She goes, yeah. He told me, he reminded me that when I was in the orphanage with the other baby sleeping in the bed when I was cold, she was nine months old when we got her, that he used to come and say, Abby, hold on. Your mommy's coming to get you. She said, Mommy, last night he came and saw me, and we laughed about it. He said, See, Abby, I told you your mommy would come get you. She said, Isn't that funny, Mommy? And runs off. Karen's weeping uncontrollably. Calls me. I'm in a hotel room. I'm weeping uncontrollably that God loved our daughter enough, because he loves all of us that way, to rescue her and to break that orphan spirit. God has not called us to be orphans. And the number one attack on the church today is an orphan spirit not realizing that God the Father has called you not to be slaves, but to be sons and daughters. He's called you. He said, hey, I love you so much, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to give you my spirit. That's why anybody listening right now, if you're, you can just simply say, God, I need to feel the love of the Father around me. Maybe you've never had a dad. You'll feel his arms around you right now where you're at. He's breathing on you. You talk about an orphan spirit. Describe an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit is a spirit that doesn't truly believe that God loves you enough to make you his own. It doesn't truly believe that God can do what he's promised. An orphan spirit is a spirit waiting on God to leave them in the worst situation. We have raised a generation, I write about this in the book, 34% have grown up without parents. 72% 72% in the inner city. So when we talk about God the Father, most don't even know what that means, because they don't know what a father is, because fathers have abandoned their families, especially in America. But God says, I am a father that will not walk away from you. 
it took me years, Sid. I was in ministry for years before I realized the true love of the Father, that no matter what happens, He won't walk away from me. No matter what happens, He loves me and walks with me. And the orphan spirit is a spirit that will keep you from ever having an encounter with God because you don't believe that He's really there when He says, I'm screaming your name right now. I believe that you can start people to be part of the end-time remnant. I believe that you can pray for people so that they will begin to walk with God, hear God, demonstrate the kingdom, and live as sons and daughters of the living God now. Not, not when they're in heaven, but now. Yes. Well, the, 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 you, those that are listening right now, you're not an oops. You're not an accident. You're not a failure. Sid, can I pray for them right now? Please. Oh, Lord, I cry out to you on behalf of those that are listening. Father, no matter what they've been through, no matter what scars they possess, no matter what pain they've gone through, I pray in Jesus' name that all they have to do is call out your name. And Jesus, you are right there with them. I pray for a supernatural encounter to overwhelm them. If they're driving by car, if they're listening at a home, wherever they're at, the glory of the Lord is filling your vehicle, and His love is beginning to kiss you. And the presence of God is breaking an orphan spirit off you because you are called to be remnant. You're not an oops. You're not an accident. You're not a failure. There's no such thing as, 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 as someone that God could walk away from. He gave everything for you, the ultimate sacrifice for you. So in Jesus' name, as you're listening, all you've got to pray is, Jesus, change me, forgive me, and invade me. And his glory will walk in on you right now. And Father, I pray that as they're sitting there, they'll be so overwhelmed by your love. Father, they'll look down and see their scars are gone if they're cutters. Father, they'll begin to feel the glory of God shooting through their body. And any sickness in their body must go now in Jesus' name. We command it. Devil, you have no authority. And Father, we pray for the freedom and the outpouring of God for the last day remnant to rise up. This is the moment where God begins to say, here's why you were born. You weren't born for the pain. You were born for the joy. And God is bringing you up and pulling you out and grabbing hold of you and taking you back to the cross, the place of freedom and authority. In Jesus' name, because the Bible says in Isaiah 10, 21, a remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob. You are the remnant God has planned to use. He has given you a mission field, and it's right one step away from you. He's called you. If you're a dad listening right now, I pray that God gives you the authority to walk into your house and be the spiritual thermostat, to call your family to intimacy with God, to lay hands on your family, to wash your family's feet again. If you're a mom, you're weary, you're a single parent, whoever's listening, God says, I lay down beside you at night when you go to sleep. I sing songs over you. Just cry out to Him. God says, I'm right here. And Jesus, I declare an encounter of your glory like we've never experienced right now. Jesus' name. Now, you call these encounters an audience of one. Explain. You know, I use the story in the, in the book of meeting my daughter for the first time when she reached up and rubbed my face at nine months old and said, Baba, an audience of one is like getting a letter in the mail, is the way I describe it, where God says, I've been waiting on you. It's the woman that washed the feet of Jesus, Mary, when she washed his feet with her hair. The room was full of people, naysayers gossipers, uh, Pharisees, but she had an audience of one. The audience of one is that place where you begin to realize 
and it's all through the Word of God, anyone God has ever used had to have an audience of one, where God walks up to you and talks to you. said, I've had those audience of ones over and over. One time I was preaching at Brownsville, and I was standing in all these people. It was at the school of ministry there, and uh, the revival broke out, and they brought me in to speak. And I had said, be careful. God will bump into you. Do you know that as I'm standing there praying, I got shoved and nearly knocked on the ground. I thought someone had done it. I got upset. I turned around, thought it was one of my staff members. And the Lord said, you said I would bump into you. But oh, my goodness, I began to weep. The audience of one is what God did when he broke failure spirit off of me and fear spirit off of me. It's what he did when he broke grief off of me after my sister died. When my wife came home one day and I'm sitting at the top of the stairs and she could see it. It's been six months since my sister died. She said, Jesus is standing behind you, Pat. Go in your prayer room. He'll have an encounter with you. The audience of one is what happened when I found a letter in my yard that had fallen out of the tornado in 2011. And that letter said, I picked it up. It's a sheet of paper out of a book. It had fallen out of the tornado. It came through the south. I live in Birmingham. And on April 25th, I picked up the sheet of paper soaking wet, and it was a page out of a book that said, Topping these disasters will come a world war. I ran into my house, went up to my prayer room, was on my knees, received a text that David Wilkerson had just died in a car accident from his nephew. As I'm sitting there, the Lord said, you tell them. I said, Lord, why do you put this in my front yard? Because I'm holding the paper right now as I talk to you. And the Lord said, you tell them they're running out of time. Tell them I'm coming back. Tell them things are going to get worse. But I'm with them to hang on. That's an audience of one. You need this remnant package, brand new book, downloaded from heaven. All of this has been downloaded from heaven for now, right now. The book, I Am Remnant, the three powerful messages, even scars the cutters had. They disappear when they heard the messages. And then the manifesto of the remnant poster, his proclamations over you, every proclamation came from heaven, available for a gift of $40. I want you to call or write today. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.